Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. My shame, my wickedness was all placed on Jesus and he took it for me. And that's the good news of the gospel that God's I'll take your guilt, your shame, your punishment upon myself and I'll take my perfect, holy, righteous life. And because you believe in me, Bill, you get to be perfect, holy and righteous in the sight of God. Because you believe in him, whoever you are out there, you get to be perfect and holy and righteous in his sight. And for that, we should be so thankful. Amen. The phrase stand in the gap was used by the men's group Promise Keepers many years ago, inspiring men to stand in the gap between a fallen world and their families. In this way, they would exemplify Christ and how he stood in the gap for us. Pastor Bill shares that this is really what the gospel is all about. Pastor Bill also shares that because of Christ and what he did on the cross, you no longer have to endure what many in the Old Testament had to endure for their sins. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers, chapter 31, for today's edition of A Transforming Word. We got to be careful that there's no way to get around the fact that what we sow, we will reap. Balaam sowed and reaped accordingly. And there's no way to get around that. And so if you look and say, God, I want my life to be blessed of you. I want my life to be rich in spiritual things. I want, my, I want there to be a holiness to my life. I want there to be a, a depth to me. God, when my, my life is over, I want it to have meant something. Then now is the time to sow that kind of behavior, that kind of life. Live a life that will result in that. Sow to the spirit and of the spirit reap everlasting life. Instead of don't sow to the flesh and of the flesh reap corruption. Make sure that you're sowing in such a way that that's what you're going to reap. That's going to be the end result. That's what's going to be the, the end result of what you put in and sowed in all these years. I had a, a friend of mine in high school who, he was, he was an all right, you know, basketball. We played at the park. He wasn't a standout basketball player in junior high or elementary. He was just average, maybe. He was a Michael Jordan fan. His dream was to you know, be this amazing basketball player. And he worked and worked. I mean, he just, he believed it and wanted it so bad that he just, I mean, he always had a basketball. He walking down the street, always dribbling, basketball. He was hoo, 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 hoo. And I remember by the time we got to about 10th grade high school, I played football and I would go to the basketball games during basketball season. I remember going to basketball season and watching him and I was like, wow. Like, he was amazing at 10th grade. And as I look back and it was like, because that was what he, he just sold and sold. He practiced and worked and worked and worked. And then at a point in his life, it started to result in something. And it took him to college and it, it paid for school. You know, I, I bumped into him at Darby Park, his son. He's got a son BJ's age and he's coaching up, you know, to play ball like, like he did. But I look back and I think, wow, he didn't make it on, on giftedness. He wasn't like, it wasn't like he was just naturally talented. He just worked and worked and worked and worked and eventually it paid off. Something came out of it. Um, now, that's for something as temporal as a sport, but spiritual things, right? We can sow to the spirit. We can, we can spend the time in the word to become a better tool for God in God's hands. That you spent so much time with the Lord in the word, living it, studying it, sowing it in, that, that you become a tool, a resource that God can bring people to you that need to hear what he's been sowing into you all this time. And now you're a tool and a resource to the Lord. Some of us give ourselves to some area of service and to where we're good at it. And now we're a resource to the body that, man, I'm able to bring this. I don't just come. I come and I have this to offer. Whenever the body gathers together, um, what we sow will become. And in just the same way that Balaam did in a negative way, 
sow carnal things and reap death. Um, we can flip that thing right back around and we can sow to the spirit, sow spiritual things, and the end result, we'll reap spiritual things and that's what we want. Amen? So here's a, a gospel nugget. Now, I got to speak on this because it is kind of controversial. Some people will look at a section of scripture like this and say, I don't understand why God would do that. Anybody here feel that way? As you look at all, God basically saying, go kill everybody. Anybody here struggle with that? Anybody have a hard time? You, you, no? Everybody, everybody, y'all good with that? Y'all understand? Okay. There are people that have a hard time believing that a God of love, why he would do that? Why, why would God say, wipe them all? Everybody? Everybody? Everybody got to die. God says, go to the Midianites and I want them, I want you to kill them all. I want you to wipe them out. Um, and they did pretty close to what they were supposed to do, but I want you to note where they fell short. They went in. It says that they killed the men. They killed the kings. They killed all the men of war. They, verse 9 is where they kind of mess up. It says, and the children of Israel took the women of Midian captive. If you didn't catch that, what that meant was they killed all the men and they kept the women. We're going to keep them. We keep all the women. They kept the women captive and their little ones. So the women and the babies, the women with their babies. And they took all the spoil and the cattle and the flocks and the goods. And they burned with fire all the cities and everything else. Um, and they says they, verse 11 says they took all the spoil and all the booty of man and beast. And booty was not a word that we use in this way anymore. But it, it, it means, you know, it means like it's the reward. It's the spoils of war. So we done messed up booty. It's means something totally different. So I don't want y'all judging me. It's in the Bible. So, so here we go, right? What was wrong with what they did? Um, they didn't kill the women and kids. They brought them back. Was that wrong? Is that a problem? Anybody see a problem with that? How come, how come the judgment came upon them in the first place? The women. The men didn't, they killed all the men for war. The women, the men didn't go into the tents. I don't want to say, can I say skanky at church? Is that bad? It was a little, it was those women that they said, y'all go down into the tents and you seduce the men and get them to fornicate with you and then get them to worship your God. They did that mess. And so, they, but they kept them. Now, this is the problem, right? I don't know what the intent of their heart, why did they keep the women? What was their intention? Did they have plans of what they were going to do with the women? I don't know. But it, it was a pretty bad temptation round one. When the women came in, the men fell just like that. So it, it don't look like a good plan to keep around that which caused you to fall last time. So here goes the, the nugget for us, right? If Wherever you have fallen previously, everybody here is different. Some of us have fallen in anger and our temper. Some of us have fallen in sexual sin. Some of us have fallen in substance abuse. Some of us have fallen in some areas of, of lacking integrity. Wherever you have fallen, whatever those things are, whatever the things you would look back and say, man, that, that thing right there messed me up once upon a time. Or, or that's the last real bad stumble or fall I had was dealing with this thing right here. Do you then keep it around, right? If, if I struggle with smoking weed, let's say, since that, that was not my issue, um, when I get saved, do I keep the box? And just say, I'm gonna put that away, just in case. I can't, no, you, you, you smash up everything, get rid of it. Um, you don't keep it behind. If, if my issue was alcohol, should I keep a few bottles? Just for celebration, maybe, one day. 
No, no, I need to throw them bottles out. Crack them, break them, done. If you've been stumbling with somebody sexually, you keep that around? You say, well, you know, we're going to be better this time. I'm this, this time I feel stronger, right? First uh, Corinthians 10 says, let a man take heed when he thinks he stands, least he fall. Go and put it behind you. Don't leave yourself in a condition or a situation to continue to fall where you've fallen. That's the problem. So they kept the women around and they kept the children. And we're going to see that Moses isn't pleased by this. Look at verse 12. It says, then they brought the captives, the booty and the spoil to Moses, to Eliezer, the priest and to the congregation of the children of Israel, to the camp in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. And Moses, Eliezer, the priest and all the leaders of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. Look at verse 14. But Moses was angry with the officers of the army, with the captains over the thousands, the captains over the hundreds who had come from the battle. And Moses said to them, have you kept all the women alive? Are y'all crazy? Look at the women. This Moses says, look, these women caused the children of Israel through the council of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now, therefore, kill every male among the little ones. Kill every woman who has known a man intimately, but keep alive for yourselves all the young girls who have not known a man intimately. So this is what Moses says has to be done. He says, all the, all the women that have been intimate with a man, that means some of them been with the men over here. I thought about this too. Because now some of these women with little ones, these might be, these could be little ones that belong to men from the little shebang they had when they came over into the camp. We don't know. He says, all the women that have been with a man, kill them. All the kids, all the sons, all the boys die. Now, I got to explain that. Because someone might say, you're going to kill the little boys? That's so mean. Why would God do that? So if you understand the culture of this day, in this culture, as in some cultures today, if your father is killed in war, you grow up, you go avenge your dad. That's what you do. So them being a pagan nation, uh, enemies of God by choice, um, God said, those, young, those boys are going to grow up and go to war with us. So just go ahead. Let's go ahead and nip it in the bud. Take it out right now. That's, that's what God is doing. It'll definitely be an issue later. So the women that have been with a man, kill them. The little boys that are going to grow up to be big boys and go to war with us, go ahead and take care of that now. You can keep alive the women that have not known a man yet. The women that are still virgins, um, that you can keep them around and y'all can, you know, I guess eventually they can be married off or whatever. They're not a threat. But that's the way, it, that's, that's it. Now, once again, some people have a problem with this and look at the judgment of God and think that's so severe. There are people that think that the God of the Old Testament is more harsh than the God of the New Testament. And I want to tell you that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So how come then, as I read this, the Israelites, thousands of them died for the sins that they did. And now God is saying, now kill all of them too. How come that doesn't happen today? Tell you why. Here goes our, here goes our gospel nugget in this story. Because all of the wrath and all of the judgment and all of the punishment that is deserved on all the sins that are happening today, where did God place all that wrath? On his son. He put it on his son. So if, you know, we're not living back here where maybe we done some of this stuff and we'd be wiped out by now. We live on this side of the covenant where the Lord said, I, I took all your shame. 
and all your guilt and all the punishment you deserve, you deserve it too. But I took it all, everything you deserve and you rightly deserve to be punished and everything else. And I put it on my son. He died in your place. I did that for you. That's the gospel. So as I read this, I'm not looking at two different gods. I'm looking at two different covenants. I'm looking at an old covenant where there, there hadn't been the Messiah, hadn't come, hadn't died yet. There was a, the sacrificial system where the lambs and the goats and the rams with, you know, with blood of the innocent would be shed for the sins of the guilty. But many times then you would die for your sins. You would pay the price. Boom. You're dying for what you did. I live this side of the covenant where I need to be really thankful for the mercy of Christ. I need to be really thankful that it isn't like the wrath didn't happen. And that's where those of us that are New Testament saints and we're forgiven and we're saved and we're so glad. Every once in a while, we need to be reminded of what, what the transaction that actually took place. Because we can forget it and then we devalue the cross. And we don't really give it the respect that it's due. We don't, we're not even thankful, as thankful as we should be. But I got to look at my life and say, in reality, I deserve death for my sins. I deserve a painful death. I deserve a shameful, destructive, wretched, I deserve death, but I'm getting heaven because my shame, my wickedness was all placed on Jesus and he took it for me. And that's the good news of the gospel that God's, I'll take your guilt, your shame, your punishment upon myself and I'll take my perfect, holy, righteous life. And because you believe in me, Bill, you get to be perfect, holy and righteous in the sight of God because you believe in him, whoever you are out there. You get to be perfect and holy and righteous in his sight. And for that, we should be so thankful. Amen. We should be thankful. We should be. Um, it shouldn't be hard to get a worship out of you. It shouldn't be hard. That should be the motive for all Christian service, for just a heart of gratitude and worship. What he's done for me. And I'm simply responding to him for all that he's done for me. And so. Um, for those that would struggle with looking at just the severity of the judgment and what it is, it was necessary back then. Thankfully, today, God is taking it off of us that believe on him. Now, com- conversely, those today that reject him when they die, they don't just suffer a physical thing. The Bible calls those that, those that don't go to heaven, the Bible says they, they die a second death. And there's a place of eternal separation from God that the Bible calls hell. And it's a place of torment and destruction. And it says forever and ever and ever. And that is a reality too. And it's a choice. I can choose the Lord or reject the Lord. I can receive his forgiveness or reject his forgiveness. I can have heaven or step on over the cross and go to hell. You know, I get to choose one of those, but they're, they're both realities. So sin still gets judged. The, the, the thing that determines where the judgment happens is where I put my faith. My faith is in Christ. The judgment for my sins goes on him. If I reject Christ, then eventually the judgment for my sin is going to come upon me. And I'll, I'll deal with my own punishment. So we all want to avoid that judgment. And so in order to avoid that, we surrender to Christ. We believe that he died on the cross, rose from the grave, and we submit and surrender to him that we might avoid that judgment. So moving on now. The last thing in verse 18, I'm sorry, he says, but keep alive for yourselves all the young girls who have not known a man intimately. So they were able, the only thing that he was allowing them to keep was the young virgin girls that they could be, you know, they, they, some believe that they were only going to be kept for types of servitude, 
not for not for intermarrying, but they might be of uh, some some other sort of services. So um, now verses 19 through 24, it says, and as for you, remain outside the camp seven days. Whoever has killed any person or whoever has touched any slain, purify yourselves and your captives on the third day and on the seventh day. Purify every garment, everything made of leather, everything woven of goat's hair and everything made of wood. Then Eliezer the priest said to the men of war who had gone to the battle, this is the ordinance of the law which the Lord commanded Moses. Only the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead, everything that can endure fire you shall put through the fire and it shall be clean and it shall be purified with the water of purification. But all that cannot endure fire you shall put through the water and you shall wash your clothes on the seventh day and be clean and afterward you may come into the camp. And so this is what happens here. There's the ordinance that goes out. These, these people have all gone out to war. They've touched dead things. They're bloody. They got blood on their garments and clothes. The so guys are, stop. You can't come into the camp like that. You guys are all unclean. So there's a seven-day period. On the third day and the seventh day, they're the clean things. And he gave them two different things. He said, look, all the things that can go through the fire, the, the precious metals, the gold, the silver, the tin, the bronze, the, you know, all those things that can go through the fire, then you purify them with fire. The things that can't go through the fire because they would burn leather and things made of goat's hair and so forth and so on. Those things, you take them through the water and cleanse them and purify them. And there was two things happening here. In the natural, God was saying, you're going to clean that junk up because we know today that, you know, through body biology and stuff, diseases can carry if you've been around dead folks and touching blood and everything else, we know that, you know, that can be, you can pass on some disease real good. If you go to the hospital today, everybody's got gloves on. I, I, I Now I see barbers. They got black gloves on. They, you know, they don't want to get none of your biology on them at all. And so we're very aware today of some of the things that can be transmitted just through touch and stuff like that. Everybody's got hand sanitizers, um, body fluid. What'd I say? Did I say something other than body fluid? What'd I say? Bo- okay, anyway, biology. Okay, I say, oh yeah, so body fluids. But um, we're aware of that now better than maybe, I think, in times past. But it's interesting how God and his wisdom, how far above the curve he had put his people, if they would just do it his way. He said, after you guys come back, before y'all go back into the camp and contaminate everybody else, stay out here, go through the ceremonial cleansing, there's a physical purpose for it, and it's also symbolic of uh, something even significant in the spiritual life. So if it's metal, so you know, gold, silver, bronze, all those things, they're going to go through the fire and be purified through the fire. If it's something else, it's going to go through the water. And just in the way of an analogy, we're also New Testament saints. We, we get purified in, in two ways. There is a purification that comes through trials of fire. Anybody here that's been through a trial, uh, it can have a purifying effect on your life. If you're going through a, a severe trial and you're, this, this is what I've experienced. Maybe I'm different, but I'm pretty sure other people are the same. As you go through a trial and you know that you need God really bad. We always know we need God, but when you're going through a trial, you know, man, I need, I need, I need the Lord. You, you look at how, how it purifies your life. Look at how it cleans you up. Look at, look at how you, you think different, you behave different. Um, it has a purifying effect on our lives. Sometimes 
trials will they'll bring to the surface stuff that we didn't know was still hiding underneath. Uh, it, it'll reveal junk that's there. Trials will. Sometimes trials will reveal our growth. Uh, you'll go through something. You said, man, there was a time where if that would happen to me. I would have acted like this. But now this go around. I was, whoo, man, God, God, you'd be, you'd be shocked by yourself sometimes at, at the work God has done as the trial reveals that you're not who you used to be. And it reveals um, trials of fire. But we also, in the New Testament, the analogy of the, the washing of the water by the word, the word is, is something that washes and purifies and cleanses us. And in Ephesians 5, as it talks about the husband's ministry to his wife, says that he's a washer with the water of the word. And in Psalm 119, verse 9, it says, how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to my word? And so the word of God has a cleansing effect on the life of the believer. So... If you're filthy, if you're dirty, if you're needing cleansing, you want to go to the word. If you're enduring a trial, if you're going through some, some fiery trial, or you're being tested in some areas of your life, you want to endure and you want to come through the fire. You want to be able to come through the other side. You want the, you want the trial to prove you to the Lord because sometimes the same trial God is using, desiring to use to prove you, Satan wants to use the same scenario to destroy you. Same trial. And God's intention is to prove you. Satan's intention is to destroy you. Um, my example for that would be Job. God and Satan have the conversation in the unseen realm. God tells Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him on the earth, an upright man, blameless, fears God, shuns evil. I mean, God is bragging on Job. And Satan says, oh, yeah, he don't love you for nothing. He only loves you because you blessed him. Let me touch his stuff because you gave him so much stuff. He'll curse you to your face. And so God said, OK, you can touch his stuff, but you can't touch him. And Satan took all of his stuff in a day, killed all his kids. I mean, wrecked havoc on his life. But, but Job didn't, he didn't curse God. And so God says, Satan, what's up? What, what happened? Satan says, all skin for skin. All that a man has a gift for his skin. Let me touch him and he'll curse you to your face. And God said, okay, you could touch him, but you can't take his life. And Satan struck Job with boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. And it said, Job sat there in a pot, a thing of ashes. And his wife even came over and said, to Job, do you still hold fast your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? Satan had got a hold of her mouth for that moment. And Job rebuked his wife. He told her, you speak like one of the foolish women. How can we take good from God and not accept adversity? And then Job said these words. He said, the Lord is given. The Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the Bible says in all that, Job didn't sin or charge God wrongly with his statements, with his words. And here's the deal. Job goes through this enormous trial. At the end of the trial, God restores everything to Job, extends his life, blesses him with kids and grandkids. And then in James, when it talks about it, it says that God intended to bless Job in the end. God's intention was to prove Job, to prove him, but also to bless him later. Satan wanted to destroy him through that same trial. Are you going through a trial? And you just need to know that the same trial that Satan might be using to, I want to just destroy you with it. God is saying, let me prove you. Let me prove you faithful. Let me prove that you love me. Let me let this trial be the trial that proves you, not the one that just destroys you. 
but we determine what the trial does. So we got to we got to stand through our trials and and be faithful to the Lord in the midst of them. That's all we have time for today on a transforming word. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of Numbers, and we pray that it's been eye-opening for you. In this book, you see how God dealt with sin and disobedience in the Israelite camp, but you also get a sense of how God delights in obedience and a soft heart. The people then were no different than people today. It's all human nature, plagued with the curse of sin, but God didn't leave their side, and He remains by your side today. So if you're ever in doubt about God's goodness, faithfulness, or steadfastness, be reminded that God cares about you, loves you, and is there for you. We hope you continue to learn more from the book of Numbers, and we encourage you to read ahead on your own. If you're interested in listening to additional teachings from Pastor Bill, you can find them on our website at calvaryinglewood.org. We'd be happy to meet you too. If you live in the Inglewood area or happen to be passing through, come join us for worship this weekend. You can get service times and location information at calvaryinglewood.org. You'll even find links to stream our services if you're unable to be with us in person. Then you can catch up on previous messages online. That website again is calvaryinglewood.org. Before you go, we want you to know that we're grateful to have you as part of our listening audience, and we pray you continue to look to Jesus. Thanks again for joining us, and be sure to catch our next edition of A Transforming Word.